0: Oh, good morning, church. How are you doing? Happy Fourth of July weekend. We are privileged. We live in the United States of America. I'm patriotic. I'm probably more patriotic maybe than some, and and that probably comes from the fact that my father was very patriotic. I've shared before, my dad was a paratrooper. As a matter of fact, every year on Memorial Day, the parade in New York City in Queens came through our neighborhood, and it stopped right in front of our church because on the front lawn of our church, there was a memorial to all of the people, all of the guys in our community in World War II who lost their lives fighting for our freedom. And my father was in World War II. He was a paratrooper in World War II. And patriotism was important to him. The American flag was important to him. And I just happen to believe that we are the best nation on the planet. That's okay. I mean, you don't... Well, if you want to go ahead and clap for that, you go ahead and clap for it. But you don't have to. As a matter of fact, if there's another nation that you think is better, have at it. I just happen to think we are the best nation on the planet. And I just happen to believe that our founding fathers, because I read, as I read all four of our founding documents, there is clarity in there that we are one nation under God, that we believe. We believe that we have these inalienable rights that were given to us and there's so much talk today about free stuff. Let me tell you something, church. Nothing is free. Amen. Our freedom was bought and paid for by so many who were willing to lay their lives down. And they were willing when it was absolutely necessary to do that. And you and I live in the benefit of them doing that. And we live in freedom. Privileged. There was another nation. There was another empire. Rome, the greatest empire of its day. It began to grow. It began to become larger and larger. It began to conquer regions around it. Let's just look at a little bit of the uh, history, a little bit, a few perhaps of the milestones. In 312 BC, Rome built the first paved road from Rome to another city. In uh, 241 BC, it conquered Sicily and made it a part of the Roman Empire. 100 B.C., Julius Caesar became the first emperor of Rome. And in 55 B.C., Rome conquered England and made it a part of its empire. And it doesn't stop there. In 37 B.C., Herod the Great, was made king of Judah. You see, Israel was becoming a part of the Roman. It conquered and brought it in and made it a part of the Roman Empire. And later on, 70 AD, which was a long time later, the Romans actually destroyed Jerusalem, the great city of the Hebrew people. They, They took it over and destroyed it. They took the temple, and they decimated it, and they ransacked it, and they took all of the religious artifacts. They, they took everything. and destroyed The Baptist comes on the scene. This is something totally new. John was a weird guy. You think Duck Dynasty, look, you think those guys look different? John the Baptist, you you can't... The the Bible says that he dressed himself in camel skins. Nobody wore camel skins. It says he ate locusts. He ate insects. That was a part of his diet. And he was a weird-looking guy. But he grew huge crowds. Huge crowds were coming to listen to John as he preached. And he began to preach and share... Interestingly enough, he began to share about the God of the Jewish people, and he began to share that the God of the Jewish people was going to do something different in the world, and it would be for the world. His crowds were so large that the Roman leaders began to ask, is he the king? Is he the one that the Jewish prophets talk about that is going to come and be this great king? And John gave real clarity and said, no, it's not, not me. But he is coming soon. As a matter of fact, John said, he's going to follow me and he is so much greater than I And we have our Bible that unfolds all these truths to us. But we don't just have our Bible. We have history. We have Jewish historian Josephus who writes all of this in detail and gives it to us, and it aligns perfectly with Scripture. And then, and then on the scene comes Jesus of Nazareth. And he begins to walk along the shores of Galilee. And he begins to preach like no one else has ever preached before. He preaches with authority about the things of God. He has knowledge that blows away even the religious leaders. And the crowds for Jesus are much larger than John's crowd. And people are listening. And he starts talking about this brand new kingdom that's not of this world, but but, but it's going to happen in this world. And eventually the Jewish leaders, they can't handle him anymore. And they plot together. They have him arrested and they have him condemned and they have him crucified and put to death. And that, should have been the end of that whole story. All of the energies of the Roman Empire to squelch this offshoot of the Jewish religion, this Nazarene. But while it should have been the end, it was only the beginning. They buried him. They buried him after he was crucified. And three days later, God intentionally, God doesn't miss a beat. He he doesn't mess up in any area. He, He knows every single detail, He knows what He's doing. You see, Jewish law required that three days go by before anyone could be declared dead. So let's, let's not let this confusing. Let's, let's make sure this is absolutely clear. Jesus was dead. And then, three days later, somebody noticed the tomb was open. And the first assumption was, ah, oh, grave robbers, they hid again. Kind of like this neighborhood. Every time we get hit here, it's like, oh, they hit again. No. Oh. You see, grave robbers come in, and, and they take items, and they leave the body, but nothing was mission. And besides, Jesus was poor. He didn't have anything in there of value, but the body was gone, and that was strange. And then... There were rumors. Somebody saw Jesus. And you got to know that the first assumption was, <laughs> dude, dude you, it was just somebody who looked like Jesus. I mean, all the guys now have long hair there. So it would be easy if pick, find somebody else who looked like Jesus. He couldn't possibly have risen from the dead. But then several other people said they saw Jesus. And then a dozen people said they saw Jesus. And then hundreds of people saw him. And the Bible records that in one meeting, over 500 people together in one meeting saw Jesus. And his disciples began to spend time with him. And they sat down with him. And they ate with him. And Thomas, the ultimate skeptic, Thomas would have been a New Yorker. The ultimate skeptic. He he came up to Jesus and Jesus said, okay, okay, Thomas, Put your finger in the spot that the nail went. Go ahead. And Thomas did and came away a believer. Jesus was alive. And his followers begin to talk differently. Look what they begin to say. They begin to say things like the kingdom of God has come. And then they begin to talk about what that meant and and how how was that going to change things. And for his followers, Jesus was their Lord. He was their Lord. They ate with him. They were committed to him. He said, come follow me. And they did. And they were beaten. And they were put to death at an early age all of them except John. John lives on to 90 AD. John lives on to be an old man, and he writes Revelation, and and he gives us so much. But all of the others, one by one, were beaten, imprisoned, and martyred. They were willing to lay their lives down, willing to lay their lives down because they met and saw and ate with Jesus. Most of them were put to death. But Jesus said, come, follow me, and we will change the world. And they did. Many years went by, and Roman emperors, and all of Rome poured all of its energy into stamping out this Nazarene sect. It should never have survived. But they poured their energy into stamping out this Nazarene sect, but then followed down through history And what we know is that Jesus was ultimately worshipped by the very empire that crucified him. Not only was he worshipped by the entire empire, but that empire itself sent its generals all through Rome to every one of the temples of every one of the Roman gods and had them torn down and taken out of society to the point where at that point in history, all of Christianity, every temple and church in Rome had crosses on it. Eventually, all the Roman gods were not gods at all. And Jesus of Nazareth, well, Jesus of Nazareth actually would become the most influential and the most revered man who ever lived. The greatest empire in the world poured its whole self into squashing and squelching. And in 64 AD, most of Rome was burned And the emperor at that time, Nero at that time, tried to blame it on the Christians. History gives clarity to that. He wasn't successful. And yet through all of this, it was God's purposes that prevailed. That's what prevailed. Do you know why? In Matthew chapter 16, it explains why. Because Jesus himself, is looking at his followers, and he's looking not only at his followers that are sitting in front of him, he's looking right at them, and then he's looking past their faces, right on down through history for 2,000 years into our faces. And this is what he says to all of us. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail Nobody is going to stop me building my church, he says. And I don't care how much power you have or who you are, Jesus says, you're not going to stop me from building my church. And for 2,000 years, he's been building his church. And we are a small part of what he is doing in the world today. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather be a small part of something that is going to matter forever than to be a large part of something that isn't going to matter much at all. We are his church. He turned to, those, to, to the 12, and he turned to his followers. Guys, they were just ordinary people. They were fishers of men. They didn't have any great plans for their lives. But then they met Jesus. They were just trying to survive. They were under the domination of the Roman Empire. And they didn't live in the freedoms that we have. You and I live in freedom. Guys, before this, when you look back through history, nation after nation after nation, people after people, ancestor after ancestor, The ones who had the power were the ones who ruled. There was always a hierarchy. It was the influence of Jesus and his church that leveled the playing field between the slave and his master, that leveled the playing field between man and woman. Most cultures did, almost all cultures did not. Jesus is the one who stepped in the face of a woman after woman after woman in the New Testament and gave clarity to how important and equal men and women are. And we live in this freedom. I have and have always had a bit of a concern about our freedom because I think if we take it for granted if we take our freedom for granted, that the day could come where it it actually leaves our society, the day could come where where it vanishes, and perhaps our grandchildren or great grandchildren would live in a different world than we do. And we live in our time here, where we're politically. Things are heightened. They're heightened and they're polarized. And we step into a whole political season. And and that can be dangerous. And we all, all of us, no matter where we are politically, we want our nation to be great. We do. But our nation... For it to be great, it can only be possible, it can only be possible if we are a thriving church, a church that believes that Jesus is who he said he was, a church that believes that he will do everything he said he will do a church that is willing to follow Christ the way the first century church followed him, a church that's willing to be salt and light in its community, then we can have a great nation. And only then can we have a great nation. That's why. You are so important because Jesus looked at his followers and said, follow me, and we will change the world, and they did. And he looks at you and I, and he says, follow me, and we will change the world, and he will, because he said, I will build. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's why you're so important. That's why the journey is so important. That's why our life groups are so important. That's why serving on the dream team is so important. That's why, as a church, we need to get better at reaching our community. That's why we do the dollar share. That's why this coming Saturday, 50, Forget 50, we need 100 people. We're going to go less than two miles from here to a small campus with five or six or maybe seven buildings on it. And their, their bushes need trimming. And the place needs to be cleaned up. But these are a bunch of women who have come through sex trafficking And they're in a safe place where they're learning who Jesus is and learning to trust him and learning that their future and their hope is in Christ. And we can go there and we can serve them. And we took up an offering because there's some things that they need and we can buy them. Because that's what Jesus meant. He said, follow me and we will change the world. Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus says this. He says, you, 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 you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. He said that to them. You know what they're thinking? No, we're not. We're just, we're trying to survive here. Look at at, Rome. no, we're not. And he looks right in their faces and says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how do you lose your saltiness? Do you know how you lose your saltiness? You begin to blend in with the culture around and you don't look any different. You begin to live your life for you and not for something greater than you. That's how you lose your saltiness. Goes on to say, how can it be salty again? See, when you lose your saltiness, then it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. In other words, when you lose your savor as salt, When we no longer are different from our culture, when life is all about us and not about who he is, we've lost our saltiness. And here's the usefulness if you get to that point. There is none. You might as well take that salt and throw it outside in the dirt that you're going to walk on because it has the same value as the dirt that you're going to walk on. trampled underfoot verse 14 Jesus picks it up again he says you you are the light of the world when he said that to them you know what they were thinking no we're not Rome, the city on a hill, they're the light of the world. We're nothing. Nobody's even listening to us. We don't even matter. But Jesus spoke right through all of that thought process that was going on in their heads. You are the light of the world. Once again, he was saying, come, follow me, and we will change the world. And they did. You are are the light of the world. Then he goes on in 16 to say, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds. I got to tell you, I know what they were thinking. They don't see our good deeds. We're just trying to stay alive. The Roman soul, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you know why Jesus said, because I'm building my church. So come follow me and we will change the world. And they did. Let your light so shine. And he has given us this gift of salvation he has given us this gift of truth the question for us is what are we gonna do about it we are so privileged to live in the nation that we live in i know you turn on the news and all it talks about is the bad things that we're doing. Let me tell you something. We live in the greatest planet on the face of the earth. No nation gives more to charity than we do. No nation builds more hospitals than we do. No nation gives more to other nations than we do. No nation builds more opportunities in other nations than we do. There isn't a nation on the planet providing as much good, clean, pure water as we provide. The list goes on and on and on. Because to whom much is given, much is required. The question is, what are we going to do with what God has given to us? Are we just going to take it from, for, for what we can get from it? Or are we going to take it and wrap our lives around it? And wrap our lives around something bigger, far bigger than we are in this invitation by Jesus Christ to become a part of his family. And to follow him as he changes our world. James, that sounds so big and hard. Listen, here's what I know. 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus launched his church. And for 2,000 years, he has been building his church. And we are a part of that church. It does not get bigger than that, and it doesn't get better than that. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians writes this, talking to the church, Paul poured his life into serving the church, teaching the church. Nobody took the gospel to more nations around the world than Paul did. And Paul, all along the way, knew. And at numerous points, even in his writings, he was expecting to be killed. He kept on going because he was committed to this cause. And he turns to the church in Corinth along with you and I and says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Don't waver. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Don't let anything distract you. Guys, we know how much life distracts us. And that's okay, but we get back, we get back on track. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor. If you had notes this morning, I would have you circle that word labor about a hundred times. And when Paul was saying this to them, they didn't know that their labor in the lord would not be in vain you know that your labor in the lord is not in vain do you know why because you're not building your church he's building his church and we get to be a part of it and our failures and mishaps and the stories of our lives all get weaved into this process of what he is building you know that your labor is not in vain. Let me give you a little clue here. You're sitting here because they labored. You're sitting here because back in the early 60s, an old country preacher named Leroy Owens came out here to no man's land. There were nothing but alfalfa fields out here then and planted this little church. And they labored. And so we are here because of that. And our labor, our labor will decide who is here tomorrow. You know what Jesus said? Come follow me and we will change the world. And he is still changing the world. I enjoyed the last four weeks just looking at what God is beginning to do in the younger couples in our church family. I have more hope for the future than ever before. And it's not dependent on me. Guys, I'm just one little part of what God's doing here at Camelback. And Jesus turned to the 12, and he turned to his followers. Before he left, he said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to love each other. As, as you come and be my followers, the, the one thing I want you to do is to love each other. Not, not the way you think you ought to love each other. N- not what your wife tells you that you need or your husband tells you that you, not, I want you to love each other the way I loved you. And the very next day, he let them nail him to a cross. That is love. That's our example. Love like that has never been seen before then or after then. And we get to be a part of his family. He says to you and I, Come, follow me, and we will change the world. For the next six weeks, I simply want to talk about some tools that God has for you and for me. Tools that will help us be successful. Tools that will recognize you can do it the hard way or you can do it his way. Because taking the easy way is never the easy way. And next Saturday, We're going to be here 7 o'clock in the morning. Let me say that again. 7 o'clock in the morning. And we're going to go just a couple of miles. And we are going to serve. And we're going to follow Jesus. And as you leave this morning, make sure you go out through the cafe. Because we have ice cream for you. We have a a patriotic ice pop for you. And you don't want to miss that. Would you stand with me? Let me pray with you on this 4th of July weekend. Guys, we live privileged. We are so blessed. Father, thank you for the freedom that we have. And Lord, we would even at this time stop and remember those who paid the price because nothing is free. Those who paid the price that we can live in this freedom. And God, we thank you that you sent your son to come and pay the price for our freedom and our relationship with you. God, I pray that, that our church family here, even as we leave this morning would have a real sense of gratitude for your goodness and the privilege that we live in and those who before us have labored so that we could be here. And God, may we leave with a heart, a willing heart, to recognize that, you know what? I got to serve. No, I get to serve. I get to be a part of this family. I get to be a part of what you're doing here at Camelback. Give us clarity on that, we ask this morning, in your precious and your holy name. And church, if you'd bear with me just one more minute. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, This is the most important decision you will ever make in your lifetime. And it will last far beyond this lifetime. You see, God sent His Son, Jesus, who came to us right in the midst of that Roman Empire. Knowing all of that, He sent His Son, who willingly gave his life, they nailed him to a cross, they crucified him. On the third day, he rose from the dead to become our Savior, to be our Savior. And he becomes your Savior when you believe that, when you believe that he is the Son of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. If you've never made that decision, because what that does is that takes you You are already one of God's creation. But that decision takes you from being just one of his creation to now one of his family, one of his children, inside of his family. You've never done that. You want to do that. You can do that right there in your seat by just believing that, by believing in your heart that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin. You don't even need to pray a long prayer. There's nothing you need to do except believe that in your heart. And the Bible says that you will be saved. You will be one of his children. You will be a part of his family. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you did that this morning, if you're doing that right now this morning, just put your hand up, put it right down. This is just for me, guys, just so I know if someone here has responded. Yeah, I see that Just do it right now and put it right back down. Father, thank you so much. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for the young lady that has responded. Recognizing who you are, believing in you, and now becoming your child. All of heaven celebrates. It's such a big deal. We thank you for that. Bless our entire church family as we leave here this morning. We head into the rest of this weekend. Lord, may we enjoy it. May we would be grateful for all that you've given to us. We love you. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen.